So our prayer prior to any of the services this weekend uh, as a staff was just that God would be able to engage with us. That above, above music and teaching and above any activity that'll be out in the foyer, anything that's going on downstairs, that all of them would only aid in God being able to just simply engage our hearts. That if that happens, then that's the win. And if that doesn't happen, it's just so much less than what God intends. And so, Father, our hearts are just open to you. And as I just pray corporately for our church, for every individual that makes up this body right this moment, God, engage us at the different places that we are, the ages that we are, the circumstances. God, just engage our hearts right now. We lift you up and we make it about you. You're the priority. You're the magnificent. You're the incredible. You're the one that it's all about. Father, this is a, a crown that we give to you. Thank you, God, for your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for what you're doing in lives right now, known and unknown, apparent and hidden. God, thank you for engaging us. Thank you for loving us. I pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Really glad that you're here today. Um, if you have the notes, uh, you'll need a pen or a pencil. There's a couple of fill-in-the-blanks. We do that because we think it helps you to remember a little bit better when you write. Um, if you want to use the online version, you notes, that's great. And if you learn best by listening, however you're comfortable, um, just want to get you in a place to receive that. Um, the only announcement that I have, and then I'll jump right into the teaching, would just simply be uh, we opened up two weeks ago the opportunity to register for the Israel trip 2019, which is November 6th through the 16th. And um, already the first bus is already sold out, so we begin the process now on the second one. And we'll cap it at the second one. And I just want to say this real quick. If you've had it in your heart to go, and um, maybe you weren't here and heard me announce it, or maybe you were and you're on the fence, maybe I can help push you uh, over uh, the fence real quick. It's an invitation. Would love for you to go. And the reason that I think you should go, we're not trying to put together a vacation for you. Honestly, if we wanted to do a vacation, I'd put together the Jubilee Cruise, and we'd go to the Caribbean. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No, not, uh, not doing that. Um, it, it's, a, it's a spiritual experience, and it is a, it's a tremendous trip. It is educational. It's all the things that you can imagine. We stay in great places. The food is wonderful. But it's, it's what happens with God along the journey that makes it worth going. And the reason that I do it every year, if you, if you stay here any length of time, if you're around here, you'll hear me teach the connection between Israel and us and why it's important and how God didn't do away with that and how he fulfills uh, his promises today through that covenant that he made. And if you're a believer and you go to Israel and to see where the things that we believe in happened, there's just something incredible about that alone. But what happens is along the journey someplace, God meets you. And he does something that's really, it's, it's individual. Um, it's never in the same place or at the same time. Uh, for the entire group. It can be very personal. Sometimes it is corporate. But it's just such a spiritual experience and there's such growth that comes out of it. And I felt like the Lord told me years ago, uh, you, you'll get far more mileage taking people there than trying to teach about it over and over. So it, it's an investment and it's an investment in your spiritual life. And if one of your priorities is to grow spiritually, then the things that we offer are there to help you and to make that easier for you to be able to do. And this literally is one of those things. It might be a bigger step that you could take to do it. And if you're like, I, maybe I'm single or maybe we're new to the church, 
doesn't matter. We'd love you to go. Tell you what, you go on the trip, you won't feel like you're new anymore. You'll feel like you've been there a long time, and you will find a community. Uh, be some of your best friends that you can make inside of our church in doing that kind of an activity. You could register this way. Our website is jfc.org, and then you would go forward slash Israel. Or out in the foyer at both campuses, there's information on a table that's out there. It's got the itinerary, the dates again, uh, all the particulars that you would want to know would be available out there. But we would love for you to go, and if you have it in your heart that you'd like to, join us. Uh, I think it would be, be worth your time for sure. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and jump. Let me tell you what we're doing right now, and that'll lead me into um, to teaching today. Uh, at the end of 2018, the last quarter... Uh, the way that we teach here is that we do series. We'll pick a subject and then teach a series. And a series can last anywhere between four and six weeks. And um, it's worked really well for us. I'm not saying it's the best way to do it. There are certainly other great ways that churches teach. Some take the Bible and they just go uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and they teach through it. From time to time, we'll take a book of the Bible and teach that way. It's an excellent way to learn Scripture. But again, that doesn't have to be the only way you do it, too. Jesus told stories and used illustrations, so it's fine uh, to, to pick a series to talk about, a subject to talk about. But what, uh, what we found that wasn't working good, an unintended consequence was simply this, that when we plan, we plan like six months in advance, right? We, we look at the calendar, and we'll plan out six months in advance. And there's reasons for that. Like uh, Jay talked about the creative team and the invitation to join the creative team. You know, the creative team does so much in a service with music and with lighting and with videos, uh, sound, so many different things that we can't, we can't hand them three days before the weekend Here's what we want. They need a lot of time. If we want to keep them around, we have to treat them nice and give them time. So we'll plan six months out. Uh, it's a great way to do it, but here's the unintended consequence, that there would be times coming into a weekend where we would feel like six months ago, uh, we were really um, like, you know, like this is what we want to do. But then by the time you get to the end of that, maybe God is, maybe God's wanting to do something else, and you almost legislate out God being able to be spontaneous in what you're teaching. Does that make sense? So what we decided to do is, let's put a series down for a little while. Let's just do that. Let's go every week to the teaching team, which meets on Tuesday morning, and let's just ask, what's God got on our heart right now? And then we'll prepare the message from that for that weekend, which put the pressure on everybody, but we felt like it really worked well. We called it a series that's not a series. And we just did messages that God was putting on our heart. We felt like um, coming into the end of 2018 that we got a lot of fruit from doing that and that you really appreciated that. So um, once the new year started, rather than just going back, what we decided to do is do the best of both worlds. So January we did a series. This month we're just showing up and we're, we're asking God this week, what are you saying? What do you want us to teach about? Next month we'll do a series. Then the next month will be Easter, believe it or not, so we know what we're doing then. Then the next month we'll go back and... Uh, <coughs> what do you laugh about? Like, we're not going to ignore Easter, you know. Um, it's one of the big ones for us. My birthday and Easter. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, so this, this month what we're doing is just really, um, they're sort of one-off messages, although this may be a two-parter, uh, kind of a before and an after type thing. So I'm teaching on marriage today, and I'll tell you what stirred that up, but let me just say this as a, a prerequisite to you. So perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking, it doesn't apply to me. Um, first of all, don't prejudge it because you're going to lose out if you do that. The nature of this message is simply the relationship this way needs to be intact before you ever have any relationship this way. The best way to be a friend, the best way to be a spouse, the best way to be in business, have your relationship with God be what it's supposed to be, and you'll have a context for how to treat people and how to act and how to be treated. Does that make sense? And so don't, don't write it off and think, ah, you know, maybe next week, maybe next time. Uh, you're going to miss so much. It really does consider the nature of the relationship between us and God, but around the idea of marriage. And here's what stirred it up. Um, I, I'm a reader. I'm a gatherer of information. I've got files uh, of material that I'm constantly gathering from different sources so that when we go to talk about something, I've got resources that I can pull from, stories and illustrations and ideas and thoughts. And I read an article uh, this last week that just, it got my attention and here was the title of the article, The Math Behind Successful Marriages. The math behind it. 
So the title, it grabbed my attention real quick. You love it because you're a business administrator <laughs> and you are a math teacher. That's why you love it. You, the marriage part, you just heard math and you're like, ooh, 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 ooh. you're salivating up here in the front. You're like, <laughs> I love you, Todd. Um, so I, I read that and here, so maybe here's the, this is what got me going. Like of all the things that I do, I want to do all things well. I don't want to just be good at one or two things. I want to do all, like, like what I do here for you, the way that I lead this church and the way that I teach, I don't think anybody could ever say that I don't give it my all when I'm up here. I'm passionate. I never mail it in. Every time I act like it may be the last time I get a chance to talk to you. So I want to say everything that I want to say at that time right there. I'm trying to reach you. I never, I never take it for granted and I never treat it lightly. Uh, I'm a, as a friend, I think I'm a good friend. I think I'm loyal and I'm faithful. It's, it's too late. I'm loyal. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm loyal. I think I'm faithful. I think I'm a generous friend. I, I want to be known as a good friend, but even that's not the one that I want my legacy to be. Uh, so it's not even as a pastor. It wouldn't even be uh, as a friend or, or necessarily as a man. E even as a father, I, want, I do my best at that, but that's not even the legacy. The most important legacy to me is my marriage. It's the one that if you voted on me, you know, what do you want to be a 10 in? That's the one that I want to score a 10 in. So let me just say this real quick. Guys, where would you rate yourself? If you had to judge right now as a husband, 1 to 10, 10 being good, where are you at? You realize if you really want to know, don't put the number in yourself. <laughs> Ask your spouse. We had uh, Coach McCartney here a few years ago, and he was teaching, and he was actually talking about marriage, and he said something to that effect right there that he thought he was like a 10 uh, in his relationship until he asked his wife, and his wife said, no, you're about a 6, and it just devastated him, and I thought, man, that guy needs to work on his marriage, and I went home and said, what do you think I am? And I was thinking she'd at least say a 9.75, <laughs> maybe not a 10, I mean, who's a 10, but, you know, 9.75, uh, and she said, yeah, you're probably about a six, six and a half. And um, it led to interesting conversations of, uh, <laughs> of where we needed to go um, and some great changes that took place in the relationship too. And so when I read the article, it got me thinking on all those things. And so here's what made the article interesting. It's a mathematician and a psychologist. The psychologist actually is a guy that writes a lot of books about relationships and marriage, but he wanted to, be, um, to find a way to, to physically measure whether or not the counseling he was giving was having an effect. I mean, how do you measure counseling? There's no, like you can't put a temperature on it, and people can tell you things that aren't necessarily, sometimes people can't even identify what's going on inside of them. So the mathematician was great at taking uh, conceptual, uh, ethereal thoughts and then putting them in charge. So the two of them together, they picked 130 couples. Some were about to be married and some had been married for quite some time. And these were the three things that they wanted from the couples. So we want you to spend 15 minutes talking about these three subjects and we want to videotape it and then check all the emotions and the guy turned it into charts. And here's the three subjects. Talk about something that's just every day. How your day was, how it went at work, how the kids are doing, how your drive was. We just want to see how you interact with each other and they videotaped it for 15 minutes. The second one was talk about something that you're excited about. A promotion, a vacation, uh, something good that happened to you, something, uh, just, it doesn't have to be anything particular, but something that you're excited about and they videotaped the emotions for 15 minutes. And then the last one was Talk about something that causes conflict between the two of you. It can be your relationship. It can be sex. It can be in-laws. Uh, it, it, it could be a job. It could be a house. Uh, it, it could be finances. But something that, would, something that would cause true emotions to come out between the two of you and let us videotape how you handle those things. And so they did that, and they were able to chart it. And it looked like a Dow Jones chart, quite honestly. But here's what was really interesting. They, uh, when they were done were able to, within 97% accuracy, predict who would divorce and who would be able to make it married. 97%. That got my attention. Wouldn't you love to know? Before you ever said, I do, that it's really going to do-do and not do-do. So, that's uh, very deep theology. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> 
You're just catching it right now. You're like, it took a second, but it's that. So the, the, the thought and the thing that, that made it just so, so good was that they were able to identify uh, on the negative side, there was one trait that if they saw this interaction uh, between couples, 97% chance that the marriage would not make it. And then on the positive side, if they saw this one trait, 97% chance that it would make it. So let's be interactive here for a second. On the negative side, what do you think the one trait was? The one thing that showed up that was like the killer to a marriage. Okay, now wait a minute. That's, that, all that sounded like... Well, I'm, I'm, so shout it out. Give me one. Selfishness. That's good. That, that does go along the line of what it is. Blame. Trust. Disrespect. Lack of communication was the one that I would have thought. That's the one that I, in my mind, I had put my guess out there before I read it, and that would have been the one that I would have said because I do think that that is a, anybody that's been married for any length of time knows communication is always one of those things you're working on, but that wasn't it. It's this word, contempt. Contempt. If they found contempt between the couples, 97% chance that the marriage wouldn't make it. So let's define contempt real quick. Contempt, in my mind, is the step beyond bitterness. So in any relationship, the possibility of being offended is always there. Do you agree with that? In any relationship. Because we're human, because we're subject to emotions, because we have good days and bad days, because we like things and we have our preferences. In any relationship, friends can offend each other, co-workers can offend each other, but husbands and wives, imagine that relationship. Now, that's the person that you live with and that you sleep with and that you spend maximum, and they, that you're, you're fine, everything is shared. And so the opportunity to be offended is there. Do you agree with that statement? Look, this is not trick questions. It's okay. Yes, yes. Offense happens. Okay, when offense happens in a relationship and you don't deal with it, it turns to bitterness, unforgiveness. And if you don't deal with it, it moves one step past and it becomes contempt. It's beyond anger. You lose the emotion and you begin to despise. And once that happens in a person's heart, I know this is true because I've, I've done this for 30 years. Three years. How many couples I have counseled, I, I couldn't even begin to tell you, but I know this is true. When one of the people or both in a marriage ends up in a contemptuous place, it's almost impossible without an act of God to get a heart to change. And that's why. So I would just say this. If when I say that, you think that might be where I'm at, it's a warning sign. It doesn't have to be the death blow. Because what's impossible with man, if you're a believer, is possible with, with God. That's our hope. You know, I, I didn't say this in any other services. I it just was counseling a, a couple that didn't go to our church. Um, I was a young pastor. We just started the church. And um, had a makeshift office. And I got this recommendation from this family in our church who asked me to meet with this couple, and this guy was probably six, 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 seven, and she was like five foot. So it was just this odd couple that walked in, and a guy was just, he, he was a bodybuilder, he was cut, and I thought, man, I hope I don't have to say anything <laughs> dangerous in the situation. And she, I mean, we, we didn't hardly get past the introductions, and she just launches in and just, you know, she's crying and just, she, she can't talk fast enough and he's got his arms folded and he is very disinterested. And um, so I let her go for a little while and I stopped her and I was trying to draw him in. So I just said this, hey, you guys, I need a commitment from you that what you're trying to do today is to work on this, that you want to solve this. So I need to hear from both of you that you'll do what it takes. If you want me to give my time, and I'm doing it for free, if you want me to do this for you, then just assure me that you're both, you'll do what it takes. And she immediately said, I'll do whatever it takes. And he looked at her and looked at me and stood up and he said, I don't care anymore and walked out of the office and they divorced. That's contempt. It's when you're at that level where it's gone beyond unforgiveness, beyond bitterness, and now the heart has become 
indifferent. Indifferent to the point where you really don't care. The opposite of love, I don't think it's hate, I think it's contempt. Hate is still some kind of passion. When you lose any passion for it, that's contempt. Does that make sense? So, all right, heavy, and so let's, let's get off of that. Let's go to the other place. What was the one thing in your mind that would be the signal that a 97% chance that a marriage makes it? What would you say? Who said the laughter? You said, did you hear the message? Okay, you win the grand prize here today. Well done. Believe it or not, I would have never guessed it. It would have never occurred to me. But what they found, now when we say laughter, it's not one person laughing at the other person. Okay. That's contempt. If you're like, we're going to be okay. No, that's not. It's shared laughter. And here's what they found that if you have the ability literally to be able to come together and laugh about the problems and laugh about the things, then you have the ability to work things out. You have the ability inside of you to get, it diffuses tension. It allows you to talk. Uh, a lady caught me in between the services, this and the first one and this one, and she said, in my marriage, there was never humor. <clears throat> was being the word, did you hear? There was never humor. They weren't married anymore. It, there's something about that that um, it was so intriguing to me and interesting. And, and quite honestly, uh, I was off on both of my guesses. And so that's the nature of, I thought I would just quickly talk about three myths of marriage. And I'll ask you to tell me whether they're true or whether they're false. And we'll just talk about it from that point right there. So here's the first one if you have a pen or a pencil. Uh, true or false, marriage is a 50-50 relationship. I hear both. Who thinks true? Yeah, you, you, I heard some of you now. You're like, oh, I never. Never. Uh, she thought that. I didn't. <laughs> Marriage is not a 50-50 relationship. Um, when you begin to think of your relationship like that, what you're actually thinking of is a business partnership. So here's the difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract that you sign in business is that I'll do these things and you do these things and we'll make this thing work out. I'll give my 50%, you give your 50%, and as long as we don't violate those things, everything will go forward and we can do business as. But that's not what marriage is. If you go into marriage thinking 50-50, you've already entered it in a place where it's going to suffer tremendously. Chris and I were watching one of those television psychologists this week, very famous, you'd know the name if I said it couple that was on there and the lady just said, I keep trying to get him to do his 50%. I keep trying to get him to do his 50%. 50-50 is never the way that it is. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. A covenant means promise. And here's what you're promising to do if you get married in the God-ordained way. That's important. Not the world's way, but God's way. Here's what you're saying. I'm going to give myself to you regardless of what you do. That's how you enter into marriage. You're like, Pastor, where do you... That is impossible. That is crazy. How can you think that way? That's not how marriage is done today. And my answer would be, tell me about marriage today. Marriage today is the resemblance or the reflection of the spiritual bankruptcy of our culture that's made its way into the church. We have so devalued what God gave as a great gift. Marriage is not man's idea. It's not the church's idea. It was God's idea. He's the one who created it and put this high place of value on it so that when we take marriage and lower it to the standard of the culture, inside of the church in particular, it devalues the beauty of it. So that when I say the normal thing that marriage is about giving yourself fully away to a person, people are like, you can't do that. I would agree, you can't do that. But if you get in the relationship this way and receive unconditional love, you now have an understanding of how to give unconditional love. Um, Jesus said these words, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's what? Friends. In marriage, your partner should be your best friend. 
Let me tell you about mine real quick. She's my confidant, my encourager, my protector. She holds my heart in her hand. She allows me a position in her life that no other human will ever have. It's a sacred place. It's a holy place. It's an awesome place. She knows everything about me and loves me in spite of it. It's the greatest definition and understanding of unconditional love that I've found on the planet. When you say you get it from your dog, I say I get it from my wife. <laughs> Amen is right. Because your dog's dumb. <laughs> but your wife's brilliant. We, we were watching my big fat Greek wedding. And the patriarch of the family is this uh, very traditional Greek man, Spiros. And Spiros was the head of the household. And his daughter picked a non-Greek person to marry. And he was so upset by it. He didn't want it. The guy wouldn't come and talk to him. He wanted all the traditional things. And the girl's name was Tula. And Tula went to her mom and she goes, Mom, what am I going to do about Dad? He won't accept my boyfriend. He won't even talk to him. He'll never approve of it. And she goes, Ah, Tula, he is the head of the household. But I am the neck <laughs> on which the head turns. And it's a silly movie, but anyone that's in that right relationship knows the power that one spouse has over the other one, yes or no? She is that all in all to me. And after 35 years, this is the truth, looking in her eyes and not saying it with hyperbole. She is my best friend, my best friend. When marriage is right, there's nothing like it. And when marriage is wrong, there's nothing like it. <laughs> Just real quick, next week, I really think I'm going to teach part two of this, which is what happens if it went the other way. What do you do then? How do you recover? What does God want? What, what should it look like after it's gone bad? After a divorce? After a separation? After a failure. You know, this message, just real quickly, look at me. If you feel any condemnation, let me tell you where condemnation comes from. The devil is a condemner. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that if you sit here and feel like I've had a failure in that area, don't let the enemy right now rob you of God bringing restoration to your heart. He wants you to be whole, and he wants you to be healed, and he wants you to be able to go forward in life. You do not need to live your life on the scrap heap of what was. Yeah, the power of the gospel doesn't change the past. It changes the future. God's direction and trajectory for your life is powerful, and it's positive, and it's good. The will of God is good, pleasing, and perfect. Romans 12, 2. He's got good things for you. Marriage isn't 50-50 simply because of this reason right here. That on any given day, we're all subject to bad days. We're subject to things that go wrong. So that if you're trying to give 100 and you have a bad day, maybe you do only give 50 and you can go in deficit. But if you're only starting at 50 when you have a bad day, you go to zero. And now you're pulling too much. And if you do that for long enough, you're in a deficit situation that causes a bankruptcy in the relationship. It's really 100 and 100. And that's what it means to lay down your life. Here's the second one real quick. True or false, marriage will be fun. Every time, no one's answered that one right there. Every time, people have only laughed. <laughs> Every time. So, so look, I, I read it to my son last night, Dan. Before I came up, I just, I just asked him the questions. How does this sound real quick? And he goes, Dad, are these trick questions? I said, no, they're not. They're, I'm not trying to trick anybody. It's not a trick. Just so marriage will be fun. What do you think? Okay, how about this? Here's my answer. Partially true. Marriage can be loads of fun. Marriage can be incredible. The reason that you might want to consider marriage is that in many ways it makes life better. You, it's so enjoyable. It, it's, it's wonderful. But it's only partially true that marriage is always fun. 
The reality check that the Bible gives us is found in this scripture from 1 Corinthians. Those who marry will face many what? Troubles, Troubles in this life. You know, that's, I never use that when I'm doing a wedding. <laughs> I never begin by, let me read this word from the Lord for you today. Those who marry will find trouble. And what, so what does that mean real quick? Does that mean that uh, if you get married, that the devil has a special like, target on you? Does it mean that uh, if you get married, it, it's just life is more... Here's what it means. When you choose to get married, here's the choice that you're making. You're choosing not to be selfish any longer. If you stay single, look at me real quick. You can make it all about you, can't you? You can decide what you want to eat and what you want to watch and when you want to go to bed and where you want to go on vacation. and oh, You don't have to share the remote with anybody but yourself. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. There's nothing wrong with that. If you choose that, there's nothing wrong with choosing that. But if you get married, you're choosing trouble because you're choosing to lay down your life and that is difficult. And the reason it's not optional is because your partner can't live with you being selfish. And that's why it causes trouble. Does that make sense? It's not trouble spiritually or trouble morally or ethically. It's trouble in that you're choosing a difficult thing, which is laying down your life for another person. When couples come to me, and this isn't just newlyweds, by the way, people that have never been married. If it's a second wedding that I'm doing and they're older, I always try to ask this question, not to expose or, or to, to shame, but I try to identify so I can teach real quickly. How do you know this person how do you know this is the one for you? What, what happened that you know this is the one? And I'll always hear some compilation of these two sentences. I'm the best version of myself when I'm around them. Or, here's the famous one, they make me feel so fill in the blank. And then three years later, they come in and say, they make me feel so The sentence itself is diagnostic because I get it. I use that wording when I write cards to my wife. I get it. I'm not I'm just, here's the understanding. If you go into it and it's all about how it makes you feel, you're already basing it about you. What do I get out of this? What are you giving me? How do you make me feel? And you're starting from the point of view that it's all about what you do for me. And not about what I do for you. And if you really want to know you love somebody and you're ready to get married, are you ready to lay down your life for that person right there? Are you ready to make them number one? Are you ready to prefer them over you? Are you ready to be number two and not number one? If you want to be one, stay single. It's okay. But if you want to get married, be willing to be number two. Thank you for that rousing amen. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for cheering me on. Thank you for making me feel so good as I deliver this message right now. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Marriage done right causes you to die to yourself. And let me just tell you, that's not always fun. When you get there, it's tremendous. The relationship at a, the depth that marriage can go to, the place of intimacy and trust and belief. The, the, the reason I'm trying to say this is that so much today, so, so much today about marriage is so negative. So, listen, we've taken cohabitation, we've taken the idea that marriage is not some sacred, special, holy thing. It's just like, it's based on these two things. People cohabitate, trying to figure out, are we compatible? Can I answer the question? You're not compatible. You are not. You're in love right now. Live with them for any length of time, and they will do stuff that aggravates you. So the way to figure out if you're going to make it is not to decide, can we live together? It's to decide, can you lay down your life for the other person? And then the other reason that they're given is this. It's too expensive. Let me make an offer to you. That if you hear my voice today and you're cohabitating and you love God, do you want God's blessing on your marriage, on your relationship? If you love God, do you want his blessing? You're like, I don't know if I want to answer. Listen, I've already got you. I just haven't pinned you yet. So it's, I got, you're in the cradle and you don't know it right now. 
Of course you want God's blessing. So look at me real quickly. If you want his blessing, you have to do it his way. Separate blessing from love. You will always have God's love no matter what you do. He will never not love you. His love is consistent. His love is unconditional. His love is never based on what you did, how you did it, or whether you're going to do it tomorrow. But his blessing, his blessing comes in obedience. When we obey, his blessing flows. Do you want it on your relationship? Then you must do it God's way. When you take the world's way and you take the standard that God sets and you lower the bar down here to what the world says, you are taking the holy. You're making it profane and common. I'm not judging you. I'm not harsh with you. Here's my... Here's my offer. If finances are keeping you from getting married, I will give you the church for free. I will do your ceremony for free. I will provide all that you need in the custodians, the sound, the video. I'll give every bit of it to you for free. I will not throw a rock at you. I will light a candle. I don't want one person that goes to our church to ever say it was too high of a hurdle. I'll do it for you for free if that's keeping you from getting married. For free. So how would you take me up on that? Contact at the church office. That's all you need to do. Contact me at the church office. We can do it any way that you want to. It can be small, it can be large. But if that's your reason, let me, the two things, like are we compatible and we don't have the money? I answered the compatible thing. Lay your life down and it'll solve that issue. The money thing, I'll take, the, I'll take it upon myself. Uh, third one, true or false? If we struggle, we have a bad marriage. Good answer. If you struggle, you have a normal marriage. Do you hear the word? You're normal. Two people becoming one. I'll read the scripture here in just a second. The process of becoming. How long does it take to become Oh, the weariness. Oh, Oh, God. It's just so long. Um, So in December, we hit 35 years. And just, um, so just listen to this. 2018 was a difficult year for Chris and I. It it began with uh, losing a staff member who was also our sister-in-law. Someone that was precious to us and that had a place of prominence. When we lost Brenda, it was a tremendous, um, it, it just began the year in a, in a difficult way in the morning, was there for our entire staff. On the heels of that, 30 days later, was my son-in-law and Amy separating. Marcus being in a position inside of our church that, what a vulnerable position. I have to stand up and tell all of our dirty laundry. And it ended in a divorce. A predator is found at one of our campuses. Gone, happened years ago, but it all comes up all of a sudden, and I'm left to deal with all of it. And I have to navigate and manage that and do that well, but I have to do it in front of everybody. And rightly so. And then our campuses and friends of mine that I'd worked with since the beginning of church, it was time for them to be able to step out and become their own. And by the way, they're all, you cannot believe how good the churches are doing. Dan and DJ, they're just like a rocket ship right now. Ev, they're looking at the possibility of getting a building right now. Bob's doing so well. It's just, it's amazing. But it was a separation and it was a mournful time. And here was the toll. Just look at me real quick and tell me if you can relate to this. All the stuff of life, it wasn't happening between the two of us, but it was happening all around of us. And it just took, so that both of us, what we ended up doing was hunkering down and just surviving. And our marriage went to a place where the passion was draining from it. Can I just be? We weren't on the road to divorce, but we were on the road where it just wasn't very good. Can you handle your pastor saying that? Like, I mean, you realize I'm struggle, right? I sin. And we knew it, but trying to talk our way through it, it was like uh, we're married 35 years. 
But it was like we were just, we couldn't get past this place. And all we could do was just lean into the fact that we were committed to each other and that we knew God was faithful. But in 2019, the beginning, January, so not that long ago, the Lord told me specifically something to do for her, and I didn't want to do it. It was, I didn't want to spend it. Okay? Anybody else ever, come on, please. Don't leave, don't let me fillet my heart up here and you're all, what a sinner, what a, ah, aren't you glad you're not married to him? Jeez. Um, I just didn't, and it was just something that she had. It was a desire of her heart. It was, it was something down deep that she wanted. It, it was not a necessity for our marriage to be good, but I just knew that the number one way that the Lord will bless your spouse is going to be through you. Did you just hear what I said? It's the number one way. If you pray for God to bless her or him, you're probably the key to it happening. And I felt the Lord tell me to do it, and I didn't want to do it, but what I told you is true. Through obedience comes blessing. And so I did it. And I did it not begrudgingly and not like, well, okay, the Lord told me to do this. I hate it. I've been married long enough to know the joy of that. Here's one other thing you don't want to quote scripture to your spouse and see how good that goes. So, uh, <laughs> You're the last sir. Can I have fun for a second? So Daniel, my youngest son, they're twins. His brother David's over here. So Daniel, he got married uh, a few years ago, and, and he hears the message last night, and he goes, Dad, I, I did that quoting scripture. He said it was on our honeymoon, and he said he, he's a night person. Holly's a morning person. He said, so the night after the honeymoon, they wake up. They're in Maui. They wake up. She wakes up at the crack of dawn. She's all excited. What are we going to do today? Daniel, let's get up and let's get going. We're just going to have it. She's she's still in the buzz and the glow of the wedding. And Daniel goes, a loud noise early in the morning is an offense to the person who hears it. And he said, she got up, walked out of the room. And that began their honeymoon, right there. And I said, did you learn anything? He says, I never quote the Bible to Holly, ever, at all. Smart man. He's a smart, smart man. But I digress, so. (laughs) If you struggle, you're normal. It's a normal thing. Genesis 2.24, the process of becoming. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they, what's the word? Become, Become is, um, it's, it's present tense. We're, so 35 years, we're still becoming. When I did that thing that the Lord told me to do for her, this little thing opened her heart back up to me again. And all of a sudden, all the investment and all... It was right. It was, it was there. It just had gone a little dormant, and it just needed a little come back to life again. And it's back, baby. <laughs> so I say all this, why get married? Because when it's right, there's nothing like it, man. There's nothing like it. When it's wrong, there's nothing like it. It's one of those things that when the marriage relationship goes wrong, it's never contained in just the physical relationship. It affects you physically. It affects you spiritually. It's why marriage is not simply something that can be done on a physical level. It's a spiritual union too. It's beyond sex. It's beyond partnership. It's beyond living together. There's this depth, this oneness. The Bible actually calls it a mystery. So let me just show you real quick. Um, This is Ephesians. It's nine scriptures. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. The word submit there, uh, two things. A, the Bible is not calling a strong woman, a woman with personality, a woman with a brain, a woman with a heart, a woman who is skilled, a woman who, who, who can do great things. The Bible is not calling you to give that up. That's not what that means. That has been so misused and so abused. And, and by the way, the context is not men and women. It's husbands and wives. 
And that is important for this reason, that when people use the Bible to say to women, you're secondary to a man, that's not what it says. That is not what it says. It says wives. The context is husbands and wives. Wives submit. The word submit there would be better honor. And I'll show you in just a few verses where he uses the same thing, but he uses the word honor. And the reason honor is important for your husband, look at me real quick. A man feels love through honor. He needs to be admired. He needs to be respected. Wars are started through disrespect. And the war in a marriage starts at that level right there. So what the Bible is asking you to do is to put him in a place in your life that no one else has. Not your father, not your friend, not your brother, not your son. One man and one man only goes into this place in your life. And then it gives a context. Submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Remember what I said? This first makes this work. You don't submit or honor someone like you saw your mother do. Thank you. You do it like you do with Christ. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And then here's the deal. If it's stopped there, it's completely unfair, it's biased, it's one-sided, and it would be impossible. Because really, here's the truth. You know what the Bible's really asking you to do as a wife? To become very vulnerable. To open your heart. And if the Bible doesn't balance that with protection, it would kill a woman, wouldn't it? So here's the balance. Husbands, love your wives, not like you saw your father do, but just as Christ loves you, you're the church, and gave up or laid his life down for you. Real quick, men feel love through honor, admiration, respect. Your wife feels loved when you lay your life down for her, when you prefer her, when you choose her, when you make her the thing. If you make her a thing, you're losing. If you're better at business than you are at home, you're going the wrong way. He did it to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in this same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body for this reason. Now he's quoting that Genesis scripture. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound what? Mystery. Mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church and then this last scripture. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And then he begins where, or he starts, or he ends where he started. And the wife must, what's the word? Respect. Remember in the beginning he said submit. Now he's saying respect. It's the same word. It's the same understanding. And this whole thing, the mystery is contained in this right here. God joined himself with us and it makes a whole and he uses something in the natural to help us understand a spiritual principle. That when a husband and a wife come together and become one, it represents or should represent what the wholeness between us and the way he loves us is the way you're supposed to love each other. And when you demonstrate that, it's the mystery to this world. Such, there is such a thing as unconditional, supernatural. When a marriage is right, it's a witness of God's love. Does that make sense? Some of you look like, have I given you too much? It's like, uh, I, oh, I go home and I just pick myself apart after these things. Man, you can't imagine what I do to myself. Like, I shouldn't have said that, and I shouldn't have done that, and I'm too tough, and I'm blah, 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 blah. And now I'm going to think, why did you sit there and say, I shouldn't have done that, and I shouldn't have done it? That's good. That's good. This last song, um, Donnie's going to come right now. 
it's it's a uh, it's one of the <laughs> it's one of the most incredible songs you, you'll hear. The words are intimate and they're passionate, and it's really about us and God. But here's what makes this special. And Donnie picked this not knowing what I was going to teach, and I think that the Lord kind of zipped this thing together. If you could think, if you're here with your spouse, think of these words. If you said these words that we're about to sing to your spouse, how important, how personal, how powerful they would be. And so I just, I guess, make this offer right now that if you're here with your spouse, it's not accidental. There's the chance right now that what's impossible with man is possible with God. And if you're at the point where you feel contempt, you really do need God to do something in your heart. I'm not a good enough counselor to get it out of you. And all my preaching won't do it either, to be honest. God's got to reach down and touch. Could you open your heart to him? Even if you can't to your spouse, could you to God? And if your marriage is in a awesome place and you're sailing along could it be an opportunity to go deeper and if you're here as a single let me just say this real quick especially a young single I would speak this to my son and to any other young man or young woman in this room before you say I do before you walk down an aisle before you commit yourself you need to be whole this way and if you try to get whole this way no human will ever be enough for you if you're looking for wholeness in a relationship. You will demand stuff from a human that they cannot give and you will ultimately try to control them to get from them and you will drain them dry. You must be whole this way before you can be any kind of a spouse this way. Does that make sense? And I know that, I know that's like, but it's true. And it's a chance right now when we do this we're not doing this for play. We're not doing this to go through the religious. I, I can't check church off this weekend. I beg you engage with God right now. I plead with you. More, it's a, we didn't win if God doesn't engage with you. And we win if he does. And so wherever you are and whatever the need is, open your heart as he sings this song right now and let the Holy Spirit let the Holy Spirit minister to you.